Okay, good morning, guys. You got to bear with me today. I'm just getting my voice back. Um, I've got a cold or something. Yesterday, my voice was so bass that I was telling everybody I could send your mean one, Mr. Grinch, with no problem. He's asked us a lot of questions. <laughs> I had no upper range at all. I tried to speak even a high pitch at all, just nothing there. It was really strange. I don't think I've ever had it quite like that. And my, my neighbor, I drove him to work. His car's in the shop for transmission replace. And uh, he told me I've never heard you have a bass voice like that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to be fun for me to, to uh, lead us today, but I'll do that. And I advise you stay away from me because you don't want this. It's not anything that will make you terribly sick, but you don't want to walk around talking like the Grinch or something. So we're at the very end of... Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. And when did he write this book? 1923. 100 years ago. Yeah. 1923. Very good job. 100 years ago he wrote this. So, where last week you studied on salvation, and now we're studying the church. Why would we do that? Why would we study <coughs> salvation first and then the church afterwards? Think about it for a while. I'm setting you up. I'm going to ask you a set of questions that you're going to see the answers when you watch the video. So if you get your mind geared up saying, I don't, I'm not positive I know the answers to these, then you'll pay closer attention maybe. Is the so, answer because uh, you don't have a church without salvation? Well... I'll answer all that after we watch the video because I'll be able to use some of what he says and I'll also be able to use some of what I think might be slightly different. Not that I'm any better than the speaker that we've got leading this. I mean, he's outstanding. Dr. Nichols is, is, a, is a really smart guy. He's been here twice at our church, by the way. Has he? Yeah. And I've seen him in uh, conferences many times. So. Okay, so here's, here's your learning goals when we watch this video. So here's the kind of stuff you want to look. Identify Machen's central conviction about the church's identity and calling. So what is the main reason for the church and what is its calling? Two, describe why the church ought to be confident in the face of change, even in adversity. So if you think you know, the diversity is new, it's not. It's been around ever since man probably because man's sinful and adversity is going to be guaranteed when sin's involved. So. And then explain how a church can provide answers to, this, to the surrounding culture. In other words, sometimes the culture and the church's viewpoints aren't identical. In fact, they should not be. So let me give you some key ideas to be thinking about as we look at the video. Machen held the conviction that believers are united in the church through the cross and ministers need to serve the church with creedal integrity. Creedal integrity meaning 
the creeds that we take, like the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you don't believe those, you don't abide by them, why have them? So literally there are ministers in uh, hopefully other denominations that have talked about these creeds, but they don't live to them at all. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, here's the creed, and, it, and that's the end of it. They don't, don't talk about it. They don't live to it. They don't you know, buy it wholly. They don't believe in it. That's not what we want to do at all. We ought to reflect on God's promises to the church and to his people who are the church to remain faithful in a world that's constantly changing. The church can fulfill its mission to the world only through the proclamation of the gospel. So we're attending a church, this one included, and there's no gospel. It's not the right church. I would tell you, flee. You've got to find some place that is. Um, before we look at the video, what is, why is belonging to a church important? Do that again. It's a commandment. A commandment. It's a commandment. For us to meet together to worship God as believers. Are there other reasons and thoughts you guys have in mind? There's no known range of Christianity. I'm sorry, but my hearing is bad. There's no known range of Christianity. Like, like, I'm a Christian, and like, I don't need other Christians in my life. That's not possible. Oh, yeah. Can I just say what Pastor Owen said one time about that? He, he said it so well. He said, when we get saved, it's not just me and Jesus. You're saved into a body. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly what we're driving at. Um, when, we, when we become Christians, we all of a sudden have brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we don't meet together, so let me give you an example. We had a person that used to attend this church that decided him and his family could have their own church services at home all the time. Not a wise thing to do. And we'll discuss that more after the video, but not wise at all. How do you get the help and input from all your brothers and sisters? How do you get the special fellowship, the loving care and tenderness of, I mean, I, I could be honest with you and say I can have a terrible week, especially some of the jobs that I did for one of them for 30 years, and have a really bad week and, and uh, come to church and get refreshed and reloaded and ready to go back and face the same challenges that had just about driven me crazy. And the church was a huge blessing for me. And that's what churches should be. We should uh, come to the church and we should live as brothers and sisters in Christ and demonstrate that kind of love for each other, care and concern, regardless if we all agree with each other. That's not ever going to happen where, well, I wouldn't say ever, but it's going to be extraordinarily rare when everybody in the whole church agrees on everything. Not happening. You know? Well, also the sacraments. Yes. I mean, the sacraments are the means of grace that we have, you know, through which we have a relationship with our Savior and know Him not going to have the sacraments if we're not gathering together. So the family that took their uh, church services home served sacraments at home, and I was like, oh. you're not even 
you know, as, as the denominations say, you're not even authorized to do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, let me read some scripture real quick and then we'll run the video. And, and the little quiz that you have on the sheets in front of you is answers from the video. So you can glimpse that over so that it's all things just trying to gear you to pay closer attention. But I'm going to read Ephesians uh, 4, 1 through 7 and 11 through 13. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. As he gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, after reading that, what's the major theme throughout this passage? I know the reading was not very good because my voice is terrible. Normally I'd read much nicer. Well, the love, the unifying, fortifying love between the members of the body. Right? How about some oneness? How many times did he say, we're one this, we're one this, we're one this, there's one God, there's one, right? Um, How are ministers in Christ's church, uh, how are ministers Christ's gift to the church? So, they're charged with building up the body, So what would be the primary way to build up the body? Preaching the scripture. Right, the gospel itself, right. Truth is, I've heard some people say the pastor doesn't preach the gospel enough. I've never heard a message preached in this church from any pastor that did not have the gospel in it, ever. I mean, you have to be listening to hear it sometimes, but, but honestly, I've never... That's me, though. And how might a pastor fail in his calling? Bear in mind, what's the title we're studying? We're studying Christianity and liberalism. So how might a pastor fail? Say what? (laughs) I I can't understand what he's saying because y'all laughed. Go ahead. Yeah, being liberal, but but to define what liberal is. Like, uh, blue hair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, having a low view of, of scripture. Um, being liberal with, with the word. So as the society around us changes, yeah. the church should not be changing to match the society around it. That's the whole core of this whole book. You know, we're at the tail end of it. At the tail end of it, I'm going to ask if we have time. What you guys thought of the whole curriculum? I mean, I don't know if any of you attended all of it, 
but you tended probably enough to have great views of how much does Machen's views still hold after 100 years. So anyway, let me roll this video and uh, we'll go from there. Book, and I hope you've enjoyed this time as uh, we've looked into it. And I hope you also enjoy reading it and getting even far more out of Machen as you read it. So, thank you. Answers and comments, some more comments. Well, I appreciate it because I, I used to get, um, I used to wonder why when we came to church, there was no discussion at all of pressing critical issues. And, but he, he answers that question very well. I mean, pressing critical current issues. He says the business of the church is to address the root cause of those issues. If yeah, I was, I was going to tell you that he def we definitely do pressing critical things, but they're not the current not culture. The, right. right. But th those are the symptoms of, the, of sin, which is the root cause in the church's, the church's job is to address I really like sin. that you picked up on the symptoms versus the core of causes. I've been to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but my one of my relatives was Free Will Baptist, and I went to their church one time and bought my Bible, and immediately everybody said, are you preaching today? <laughs> that was a sign of oh eye-opener for me to begin with. Mm -hmm. But the sermon was exactly what you just described, just really talking about the current <coughs> culture around us. And I'm sitting there going, Where, did I need this Bible at all? <clears throat> did we even quote anything out of Scripture that had meaning on me at that time? I did not. Not much, anyway. Very, I was sitting there going, wow, there's a whole church here, and the biggest thing they got is they love singing more than anything. And I was like, wow, I'm here to worship. It's a whole different issue to me. The singing is a part of that, but that's not all of it. Um, hmm. In addition to the cross, what else did Machen believe the church centers on? The creeds. Right. He only put two things up underneath it the church on the chalkboard that he had. And so I was waiting going, wow, hopefully we'll get this, you know. And we did. Yeah. So why do we have creeds? Like I said initially, if you're not going to abide by the creed or believe in it or try to live by it, it's kind of useless. Pretty close to it. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, we have the shorter catechism, which is really good for kids to learn. The larger catechism Months ago, we did a study on the Ninth Commandment, and I read straight from that. Wow. It's one little commandment, and the paragraph I read you was about that long, and it defined all the ways that we violate that commandment. And when it finished, I went, none of us are sinless in this. Just that one commandment. There's no way. So the Westminster Confession kind of can open your eyes to 
scripture how relevant and how critical it is. It is not scripture. Scripture is the ultimate core. But I love having conversations or ideologies that define what scripture is. I mean, that's, 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 that's good for us, you know. Um, what kind of benefits does our church have, or a church, any true church have, in our existing world right now, considering all the continued embracements we have, the darkness and rejection of truth or the light of Christianity. So we live in a world that Christianity's popularity is coming down little by little by little by little. It is the lowest it's ever been in my lifetime. And I turned 73 in a few weeks, so it's, you know. Do you think that's true worldwide or just in our country? It's actually worldwide, yeah. And it's definitely in our country. Um, it's kind of sad. I look at uh, Germany and England, how they collapsed in their religious beliefs, and now I'm looking at us going, looks like we're following suit on a lot of that. But that brings up the other thing. I mean, are we doomed? Is, you know, is there no hope for us whatsoever? Christianity's going to, no. It just, just, just covered it, didn't it? What did it? How did it cover that? Why are we not doomed? What hope do we have? And you know, what is our ultimate aim in a church? What should it be anyway? To be a light for the world. And specifically, what kind of light? What should we be bringing to the world? The cross. The cross and the gospel. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if our church isn't sharing the gospel, Except if the preacher's the only one doing it, it's a church, but it's not as effective as it would be if all of us are sharing the gospel with friends and relatives. That's how this church has grown. That's how it got me. I was not a Christian when I first attended this church. You know, I thought I was something, but I was not. I was not saved at all. And I'll never forget, I think I told some of you this, my wife, um, I took a class, at the end of the class, um, I went home, read a document, hit the floor, asked the Lord into my life, came back and talked to the preacher. He said, have you been baptized? I don't know, and there's nobody that can tell me. All the ones that would know are, have already passed. So he said, well, we'll baptize you, and I want you to profess your faith. So I was baptized, and I stood up and professed my faith to this whole congregation. Hmm. And in the middle of it, all these women started weeping. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what in the world am I saying that's making these women cry like this? I mean, tears running down their face and everything. And I'm like, what in the world? Afterwards, my wife told me, you know, they've been praying for you for about two years and they're all thrilled that you actually changed. I'm like, wow. So then everybody came and said, we want you to be a, a deacon in the church right now. And I said, Scripture's real clear on that. No, 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 no. Uh -huh. new, new converts should not be off soldiers at all. You know, the pride issues, and I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm capable of pride big time. So it's a battle in my life, one of the sinful battles I have. Um, inappropriate anger is the other one I think is very challenging for me, especially on the highway nowadays. 
that are driving now seems to be getting so much worse than I ever remember seeing it before. <laughs> and there's more people on the road and there's more people with no concern about anything but themselves, I think. You know, it's crazy. Um, oh man, we're flying on time. I can run my mouth, I guess, even though my voice isn't working very well. Um, Steve, Steve, one point to make while you're looking there is um, that this, this lecture was very much contrasting liberalism and conservative Christianity. But the role of the church is actually a huge topic. And there are conservative, reformed, confessional Christians that strongly disagree on the role of the church. This lecture was one, and Mason was one who advocated what's called the spirituality of the church. And you heard it all through the lecture. Um, what is the role of the church? It's preaching the word, proclaiming the cross. Uh, but there are, does, is anyone familiar with what the, you know, cons within conservative, reformed Christian circles, that there is another approach to the role of the church? Hell. That's where the church's role is to transform the culture. And there are people, both camps that are solid Christians disagree on that. So overlapping theory. No, there. Um, I'm sorry. What do you mean? I would say that there would be an overlap in theory because I guess um, being being the light of the world to shine the light upon the cross is, is compatible with transforming the culture. But they're more, you say, yeah. they're more active. It, it's really, yes. It really comes down to the role of the church. I mean, obviously, all Christians want the world to come to Christ, and one way to do that. And the primary way, the biblical way, is by preaching the gospel, right? That's how people come to Christ. Um, and individual Christians should go out and cultivate um, Christianity, whatever circles they're in. But what is the role of the church in doing that? Should the church go out and take hold of institutions, um, be politically active to further the gospel? And that's where a lot of Christians really disagree on that. That, that brings up a really interesting conversation. I've had conversations with people that say I will not run for office because I'm a Christian. And I'm like, that should be the reason you should run for office. Right. Not so, the, the reverse. Yeah, exactly. So that's the fundamental point, is that all, any Christian should be, if they're politically inclined and want to run for office, they should be encouraged to do so. We need Christians in, this, in that capacity. But should the church be out there, um, have it, you know, politically active? Um, should they be lobbying Congress, the church itself? I think we see disastrous consequences with that kind of thing. I think any time... Well, I also think that people, politicians tend to hold themselves up as Christians, but then their actions and their manner of course, betray that. Right. And also the Christianity at large. <clears throat> so, so, yeah, we ought to open that a, a tad bit more. Um, does anybody <laughs> believe everybody who goes to church is automatically saved? Does everybody believe everybody here is because they claim they're Christians or really are Christians? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll tell you sincerely, we had a person that played the organ here and the piano both, and she said, I did this for 20 years, and that's why I'm a Christian. And I was like, boy, do we have to have a talk. 
I mean, that was her whole core belief of she had earned her right by coming every Sunday and playing the piano. And I was like, are you kidding? All this lectures and everything, the sermons and everything you've heard, and this is your core result. She changed, by the way. She had a heartbreaking, tear-crying session one night and made the huge change and, and really became, started living as a, a real Christian. Um, Can I ask a question? Uh, sure. I just had a question. I think, um, Harry, just to speak on what you were, or to, I guess, piggyback on what you were saying. I guess the, or maybe I should ask you, because I do know what you're referring to, the two views on that. Um, but I guess I think a helpful thing would be for us to define what we mean when you say the church. So when you say the church, should the church transform culture, are you referring to the church as in God's people or the church as in like the local bodies, like Cross Creek Presbyterian Church going out and yeah, involving itself? I think it's a very important distinction. So God's people should be transforming culture. Mm -hmm. Wherever God's people are, they should be cultivating the light of Christ, displaying the gospel. We should be treating our neighbor with love, whether they're believer or non-believer. From that standpoint, from the grassroots level, individual Christians should be transforming the culture. The question is, for the church as a denomination, as a, as a, as a, as a corporate body, mm -hmm. what is the role of the church in that capacity as it relates to the culture? And there you're going to have varying opinions from very conservative, reformed <coughs> Christians. Right. Well, we're, we're beating all around this, but what is the one thing the church should not do in regard to liberalism? <laughs> Somebody started to speak, and I heard it. Practice it. Church Church needs to stay strong. What he said was the church needs to stay the church and not try to modify itself to the liberal views that are in it. I mean, there there's been no new doctrine since. You know, if you look back at the Council of Nicaea, the last thing that was codified. I mean, I've, there's been no changes to core beliefs in Christianity. So why why are we so smart now that things should be changing? There should be a flat rejection of it. There should be no room for moderation because Scripture is a moderate. Heaven and hell is a moderate. You know, your soul's damnation is riding on whether or not we are truly believing Scripture, whether or not Scripture is being proclaimed. Like, there's absolutely no room for it. And I think that, especially Western culture, the Western church as a whole, um, doesn't want to be on the airport wrong side of history. You know, oh, we need to continue to be progressive so that way, like, we don't look back and be like, oh, man, we tolerated it when X, Y, Z, but no, we need to stay spiritually progressive. We need to reject that liberalism, and we need to make sure that it doesn't... Um, Affect the church. Doctrine divides, and if we need to maintain doctrine, maybe we can see it will split again one day. I think that's a very realistic possibility for the denomination. So you basically said this. Let me see if I can sum all that up really shortly. One, does the church, does the Bible not, does the Bible have to be changed with the times to match the times, or is it, does it always fit, no matter what the times are? That's one. Um, the creeds 
How come we're not updating all the creeds to keep up with the times? Technology is the other one that cracks me up. Um, I have relatives that are non-believers that tell me that science proves God doesn't exist. And it's like, no, it proves the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it proves the complete opposite, and I give them examples. But if your mind's made up, you don't want to see or believe that there's a God, no matter what evidence is given to you, until the Lord pierces your heart and changes you, you're not going to believe or accept anything. So I'm very used to being rejected from this one particular relative that's in his 40s now. And I'm like, I've known him since he was like this, and still, there is no God. And boy, his life is not fun looking to me at all either. I was like, boy, that's not the kind of life I would like. But we, I guess we need to answer these questions because we've got like five minutes and there was plenty more I would love to talk to, to you about. So let me find the questions that I gave you. What's the forgotten standard among the Westminster standards? The Directory of Public Worship. The Directory of Public Worship. You're very good. You've heard that little part. He said that's the one everybody's almost forgotten or hardly knows. Right. So the answer is D. Machen was unsympathetic toward ministers who wavered on their doctrinal convictions, yet he was pastorally concerned for the ordinary Christians who had doubts. True or false? True. True. So I will tell you what uh, our speaker today said. Machen was against the idea of ministers would vow to uphold the teaching of the Westminster Standards and yet deny central doctrines of Christian faith that are contained in it. He did, on the other hand, care for people who had sincere questions about their faith, which is perhaps why he did not tolerate ministers who could not give biblical answers to these questions. Okay. So I'm giving you our PhD's answers, and they're always outstanding. So. All right, number three. What key term summarizes Machen's conviction about the church in relation to the fatality of its ministers? Which one? D. D, right. Voluntary association. If you paid real close attention, what did he say if you absolutely disagree with your church? You should volunteer to leave. <laughs> if you absolutely disagree with the core beliefs of your church, you should volunteer to leave. Um, question four, what Old Testament figure did Machen allude to as illustrative of the church? Elijah. Elijah, right. And what was the specifics about Elijah? I'm the only one. Nobody else believes. The Elijah complex. None of us ever have that. <laughs> you know, it's amazing to me, you know, as you shepherd people and they come tell you how bad everything is. And I'm, I'm getting old. Some of the life that I've lived has been harsh. And some of the people I listen to think some of the things they've gone through are harsh. And I'm like, they're really kind of needy and lukewarm. They're not really super bad. You know? We're not going through the depression. People are not starving to death. This is the wealthiest people in the world have ever been. It's also the least satisfied people in the world have ever been. It's really strange. Not really, but... 
Um, next question. The growth of the moderates among the Presbyterian denomination contributed to the decline of conservatives in key positions from 1915 to 1930. True or false? True. True. Absolutely did. He said that the moderates and um, liberals just became super popular and conservatives lost in popularity like crazy. I would say I've seen that happen in cycles in politics in our country where the liberal views all of a sudden are super popular and then all of a sudden four years or eight years later they're not you know, and we just keep swapping and used to be able to say one party was basically this and one party was basically that. They're so blended right now it's hard to tell sometimes. <clears throat> Sometimes they stand for things that you go, uh, I would tell you this, I, I had a high regard when I was younger for uh, JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and uh, I think he would never have been a Democrat today. He would have said, I can't believe what the Democrats stand for right now. Yeah, it's time, right? So, question... Question six, which of the following promises from scripture do not relate to the two promises of God that Machen reassured us of in Christianity and liberalism? Well, D for sure. You said D for sure? Yeah. Yeah, I try to make sure you didn't say B. <laughs> yes, D for sure. The two promises that Machen encourages in Christianity and liberalism are that God is not, has not deserted his church and is using it to continue to call people to himself. The only promise that does not deal explicitly with God's preservation of the church and his saving of his people is God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to, which you're able to bear, basically. I haven't memorized that a long time ago in a different translation, so which when everybody has a real serious challenge, I tell them, Lord will not tempt you beyond what you're able to bear, but he might take you right to the edge. <laughs> you might see the cliff over the side before, before you are saved. Let me close this in prayer and 